How do we wrestle with scripture and proclamation? Valerie Bridgman is Interim Academic Dean and Associate Professor of Homiletics and Hebrew Bible at Methodist Theological School in Ohio. We sat down to talk about her work as the founder and president of Woman Preach. You're listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. So why did Woman Preach need to be founded? Lord have mercy. I don't have an answer to the why. I can tell you that in uh, 2008, when we were at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., doing a project with them on women's preaching, women's women preaching, women of color, and it was actually primarily African-American women. And um, Emily Towns was partnering with me in that adventure, but I pulled together the program because it was based on a class I had taught at the University of Memphis. At that meeting, someone walked up to me and said, you should do this. And there were a bunch of black women who came up to me afterwards and said, we will support you. We need somebody helping us with our preaching. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Famous last words. Yeah, and here we are almost, here we are eight years later doing it. Uh, we started in 2009 with a very small grant from the, the Sister Fund in New York City. Um, and I literally, in my head, was going to be done after the grant. And it took on a life of its own. It started with black women, but now we have offerings that include women of color from diverse areas. And we have also an offering that includes all of our siblings, um, Sophie's Table. All right, so could you describe the shape of that that, that work has taken? Yeah, um, so I tell people all the time, we do one thing and we try to do that one thing well. We work on preaching. We are not trying to help you dress for success or get your money or find a job as a pastor. We really are trying to help people think theologically, particularly through the lenses of womanist, feminist concerns. Uh, about their preaching and to approach text with liberation in mind. That's all we do. We include an artist in residence, a poet, who comes, and she's a laywoman, who comes and takes whatever our theme is and put it in poetic terms to push preachers out of that kind of preacherly language and preacherly thinking to kind of think about a text in the way that lay people really are thinking, even if they won't say that out loud to the preacher. And then we push people uh, to ask questions, that the gift of preaching starts with asking questions, the interrogation of the text. So after doing this for eight years, I'm sure that you see trends in the women that you work with. So are there certain things, uh, concerns, or questions that are recurring? In the women and men that we work with, because we actually do not just work with women. In fact, it's funny because people say, you should change the name of the organization because men come, and I'm like, well, they'll come to something called Woman Preach. And either they will or they won't. Eh, you know. And we have men on our board 
as well for that reason. Um, trends. It's interesting to me to watch people break open and to realize how deeply rigid their thinking has been about something. And that oftentimes they have been preaching a text or thinking about a thing because that's the way they were told to think about it, but not because they themselves had thought about it. Can you give me an example? So we don't tell people how to think about David. We just ask them to ask questions. Well, we don't, my pastor was here preaching at B, BTLI. Um, we don't, Black Theology, Black Theology and Leadership Institute. We don't tell people how to think about Esther, but, but if you preach a sermon that problematizes Mordecai's relationship with Esther, um, and you've never thought about that because you've been trained to think of Esther only as hero and Mordecai as kind of facilitating the heroine part and Vashti as villain or as spoil for making room for Esther without thinking about the fact that he put her in a harem. What was that about? Mm-hmm. Or without thinking about David was supposed to be at war, and you call what happened between him and Bathsheba an affair and not rape. The king had his eunuchs go seize her and bring her not to a lovely banquet, but to his chamber where he lay with her. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which women get vilified in text and otherwise in preaching, what do you do with that? And the ways in which children don't get accounted for, what do you do with that? So I preached the sermon on the, the young girl in Acts that was following Paul around saying this man preaches a way of salvation and you know the story he cast out the spirit and then the next thing you know there Paul is in prison what happened to that girl you know what don't you want to know if the church took her in was she really just a part of the story so you could feel good about Paul and Silas singing at midnight? I mean, those kinds of questions. And a lot of times people will say, women will say, men will say, I have never read the text closely. And that's the big thing, that people, we say these are the texts from which we preach, but we don't. We preach what we've heard before, or we skip over the uncomfortable parts. And women preach doesn't allow for that. And watching people go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. In the real sense of that phrase. So you teach homiletics, and you're a biblical scholar. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about the intersection of biblical scholarship and homiletics or preaching. Um, I mean, clearly those are integral for you. So I grew up holiness and Baptist in the Deep South in the rural Deep South. And I was always fascinated as a child with the Bible. I grew up in a house with a mother who was a teacher who did her morning devotions at 6 o'clock like clockwork. I grew up with a father who was a preacher, a holiness preacher. So my mom was doing vacation Bible school at the Baptist church. My dad was a holiness preacher. So I was always 
fascinated by the Bible. But I wasn't just fascinated by the Bible for its sake. I was fascinated with the way in which we use it. And by we, I mean Christians. Mm -hmm. So I always knew that I was going to, I didn't know to call it interdisciplinary, but I always knew I was going to do something around either the way we teach or preach this thing and the Bible itself. I always knew that. And I got my degree in Bible at Baylor. I got my Ph.D. in biblical studies, concentrating in Old Testament slash Hebrew Bible with a cognate in ethics. So at Baylor, the presumption of the graduate school was that they were training you to be in a liberal arts religious studies program. So you needed to be able to handle what would come up in a religious studies program. So Bible and ethics or Bible and history. People Mm -hmm. did different kinds of things like that. And I chose ethics because I, I care about how the implications of how we're handling text, right? So my hermeneutics comes out of that place. I was just going to ask you, can you define your hermeneutics? Right. It come, and, and honestly, it comes from something Katie Cannon said many years ago, and I've never forgotten that she said it. And she was I, she may have written it somewhere, but I'd, I haven't seen it in writing. I just was in a place with her when she said it. It is truly written, but is it truly right? So I read the Bible going, is, is this life-giving? Does this allow for the thriving of human life? Does this allow for the thriving of all creation? Is this really the God we serve, this portrait of God? Is this really the God we serve? Or is this someone's inkblot of a God, their own angst up against you know, their own social location. I, obviously, I can't really answer that question, except for, um, is that right? And, I, and this whole notion of asking that question, of interrogating the text, of being able to pull up from the Bible and say, do I believe that? Would I believe that? If I believe that, what would be the implications of that? What would happen if I followed that all the way down that rabbit hole? Is that true? So you want people to come with their full battery of questions. Absolutely. Because I think the Bible is sacred only in the sense, I don't mean only, that's a hard word. I think what part of what makes the biblical text sacred for us is that it is the wrestling of a people to try to understand their God, right? Whether it's the Hebrew Bible or the Christian scripture. It, it, is an, it is these people's encounter with the divine and their ability to try to articulate that. You know, I say all the time, and I've written this in something that I, that I trust will be published soon, um, I, but I say all the time that I think the whole of the Hebrew Bible is trying to answer one question, all of it. When the angel comes to Gideon in the book of Judges and says, Hail, highly favored of God, the Lord is with you. And Gideon asks, If God is with us, why is all this happening to us? I think the whole Bible 
was trying to answer that one question. So you are described as a teacher and an activist and a preacher and a biblical scholar. What holds everything together for you? So oftentimes people ask me, how do you balance all of that? And, I'm, and I, I honestly, I know this sounds odd to say, I don't even know what that question means. That's who I am. It's not what I do. So it's not like I'm a biblical scholar over here and I'm a preacher over here and I'm an activist over here and I'm a teacher over here and when I was pastoring, I was a pastor over here or when I was a chaplain, I was a chaplain over here. No, that's, all of that is me. That's all me. And at any given time, those gifts, graces arise when they are needed, right? Um, The integration of the self is an ongoing life project, right? Yeah. None of us is fully integrated all the time. I mean, I, that, I, I don't have, I am not that Buddhist enlightened, right? <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't have, an, uh, in the sense of new thought, the I am-ness of it all, right? But I am deeply aware that all of that is me. Yeah. And and it's not, I'm never making a choice. It's, it's not like I'm saying at any given time, oh, I'm going to be a preacher now. Or, oh, I'm going to be a biblical scholar now. Oh, I'm going to be an activist advocate now. I, All of that is happening. If I'm preaching, I'm I'm advocating for a thriving of, of human life. Mm -hmm. If I'm in the streets with my body on the line, I'm advocating for a thriving of a community, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm teaching the biblical text, I'm advocating for what makes for life. What does it mean to choose life, right? Yeah, that's great. So is there something that you wish all women could hear from you, not just women who preach? That's way too broad. Maybe. <laughs> that is so funny to me. I. <clears throat> you can critique the question instead. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, because as you know, you know, I just was in a conversation with somebody before we walked into the studio, and he and I were having this conversation about um, voice and, you know, who who gets to declare you an authority and, and how authoritative, it, you know, who, who gets to bestow on you um, leader or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. because of something that just happened to me this week. I don't want to get into that, I don't think. But um, I, I don't have a, something I want all anyone to know. I, I, maybe I want, hmm. Maybe I want people to know that, that the biggest challenge is to let go of the notion of there's an end to it and rather to, to enjoy the adventure of life. 
you know, we, I'm a Christian, so I will say we are not baptized into our, um, we have not completed our baptism until death, mm-hmm. right? So we live as baptized people. And, and the struggles and the joys and the realities and the forwards and the backwards and, and the thorniness and the broad spaces, they come and they go, they weave in and out of our history. And there really isn't a place where you can say, at least I have experienced, well, I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. You know, life brings something else back up and you have to look at your jealousy and go, oh, I thought I was over that. But now I feel jealous about what's that about? Mm-hmm. Or something will come up and you think I feel inadequate. Huh? Why? Why am I feeling that? Okay. But you get to keep working on or at least working through. I don't even know that working on is the right word. Working through and walking on as you grow and mature. You know, I think about that old Negro spiritual that says every round goes higher, higher. You know, so it it isn't the notion that there isn't something at every round that you have to encounter. It just you just keep ascending if that's right. I don't even know if I like the analogy ascending, but going. You just keep going, right? And and in the moments where you can't, you rest, yeah. and you let somebody carry the load, and you stay as much as you can in community, which I think is probably harder than most of us are willing to acknowledge, just the desire for community. And you own it when you just fail. Failure is a part of the human project, too. So one last question. Is there in your, in your life and in your work, this is hard to ask a biblical scholar, but is there a story, either a narrative or um, a passage of scripture that you just keep coming back to and you can't get enough of? <laughs> wow. Or that keeps challenging you in new and fresh ways? I don't, I don't know if it's a passage. I'm doing something really fascinating this summer with a group of women, including my pastor, Leslie Callahan, who actually started us on this journey. We're reading through the Bible in 90 days. Most of us would consider ourselves progressives. I hate those terms, by the way, liberal, progressive, conservative, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's been interesting reading the Bible in 90 days, which you can do, as it turns out, in 30-minute 30, 30 increments a day. There's actually a list somewhere oh, which sure we're, there is. Which we're, that has it broken down that we are following. But it's been interesting to read it as a story. Like, it's not one story. It's not a continual story. But to read it the way it is canonized. And to be reading it alongside other people and to be commenting on it both as lay and as expert and to have people say, what does this mean? And then I can bring my expertise into what is essentially uh, a lay. Here lay, I mean not biblical scholar, but who made themselves be preachers or, you know, working through 
Um, and to be thinking about how often you miss things, even if you've been doing it for years. So that has been, I, so there's not one story. It is, it is the overwhelming challenge of God in the Bible. We settle on who we think God is. But God is very complicated in the biblical text. I like that phrase, the overwhelming challenge of God. Yeah, I mean, it's a real one. And when you read the Bible, like actually read it, you can see that. I made the mistake of starting in Genesis with my children. It gets rough really fast. It gets rough really fast. Listen, and we are ex- we, we are we are professionals. So we are preachers who have to preach or we are we are uh, professors who have to uh, profess and teach. Um, and we're reading it together, and we're all like, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed that. And then being able to say things like, mm, God doesn't smell good right there. Or, yeah, David is kind of shaky. Or, did that really just happen? You know, um, our favorite thing to say is one of our favorite things was, if we had been Jephthah's daughter's friends, we would have made a way of escape. We would have never gone back, taken her back home, mm-hmm. um, for example. So those kinds of things. It, honestly, it is the overwhelming picture and nature of who is this God? That more than a particular text. You've been listening to The Distillery. Interviews are conducted by me, Sherry Osting. I'm Garrett Mostowski, and I'm in charge of production. And I'm Christy Holly, and I'm the creative designer. Like what you're hearing? Let us know by rating us on iTunes. The Distillery Podcast is part of The Thread, a production of Princeton Theological Seminary's Office of Continuing Education. You can find more episodes and other content at thethread.ptsem.edu. Thanks for listening.